here it comes again, lunch. Will it be the same old, same old? Or are you ready to take a vacation from the ordinary with the new Jamaican Jerk Turkey Sub at Firehouse Subs? Freshly sliced smoked turkey breast, craveably sweet mustard sauce, and a hint of Caribbean seasoning. Just $5.55 for a medium. Save time. Order the new Jamaican Jerk Turkey Sub on the Firehouse Subs app. Firehouse Subs. Enjoy more subs. Save more lives. Participating locations. Limited time only. Plus tax. Prices may vary for delivery. This podcast is a member of the Voices of Wrestling podcasting network. Visit VoicesOfWrestling.com to hear the rest of our great podcasts, as well as show reviews, columns, opinions, and updates across the world of wrestling. Joe Lanza, and I'm by myself today. No Rich Krejci. So you're stuck with me. Can you imagine that? Joe Lanza, Voice of Wrestling Podcast, all by myself. Nobody here to rein me in. Nobody here to corral me and get me back on track when I go on some sort of offbeat rant on some random subject that has nothing to do with the topic at hand. So I have no idea how this is going to go. You know, I've done one of these by myself before, and I actually think I, I did a pretty competent job. I'll tell you, if you're expecting another four-hour show, you can forget it. I mean, there's no way I'm going four hours by myself. It's, it's, people don't appreciate it. It's difficult doing one of these things on your own where you're not talking to anybody in particular. You're talking to the audience at large, but you don't have ideas to kick off of a partner. You don't have questions to bounce off of each other. And, and, and it's, it's hard enough from that perspective, but then you've got to keep your energy up for an hour or two to keep the people engaged. So uh, you know, it's, it's not the easiest thing to do. So if you're expecting another four-hour Voices of Wrestling Marathon, I can tell you right now that's not going to happen. But then again, by the time you listen to this, uh, this baby will be time-stamped, and you'll know exactly how long it is, and, and you might be on the other end of this laughing your ass off because uh, maybe I will go four hours, and, and, and maybe by the time you hear this, uh, you'll know that the show is already four hours, so who knows. Well, I would definitely uh, don't anticipate doing a marathon show here today uh, by myself. But you know, speaking of going off on tangents, I was just thinking about this as I kicked off the show. As you guys know, or, or maybe as you guys don't know, the song that plays us in to the podcast is a uh, Smashing Pumpkins song. Doomsday Clock is the name of the track off of the album Zietkist. 2007 Smashing Pumpkins album Zietkist. And uh, the lead singer, of course, 
Billy Corrigan, who is the new creative director or whatever the hell his title is for a total nonstop action wrestling or impact wrestling or TNA wrestling or whatever the hell they are. They seem to rebrand every 10 seconds or so. So nobody has any idea. I, I don't know what to call the company. I really don't. You watch the show. Sometimes they refer to themselves as Impact Wrestling. Sometimes they refer to themselves as TNA. Who knows? The company that people generally refer to as TNA Wrestling, of course, Billy Corgan. And you know, I wasn't sure if we were going to save this topic for when I got back with Rich or whether I should talk about this topic now. But it sort of just popped into my head as I was thinking about the intro to the show. And um, you know, so Billy Corgan, the backstory to why we use that song, I'm not sure if I've ever told on the air. So uh, maybe that's how we'll kick things off. I'm already way off the format sheet. I actually planned out a format sheet, and my scatterbrain, I, I should have known that I was never going to be able to follow this format sheet. I got plenty of topics here. Let's see. We got Best of the Super Juniors. We got Global Force and their absolute farce of a press conference the other day we got uh the rest uh, the new japan don taku show completely off the rails already talking about billy corgan who's nowhere to be found on on this format sheet but uh but yeah doomsday clock which plays us in to the podcast each and every week voice of wrestling podcast when we started this thing we did two shows first we did a 2011 year in review, which is sort of, that was our first ever show. And every year we do a show, you know, recapping the year and going over our picks for the Observer Awards. And uh, that's what that was. We did the show in early 2012 and reviewed the year of 2011. Then we did a second show, which was an interview of Justin Bissonette, a good friend of ours, who at the time was with Anarchy Championship Wrestling in, in Austin. Uh, he's no longer with them. Of course, now he's uh, one of the co-owners of Inspire Pro Wrestling in Austin. He also books the talent for that group. And he's also one of the uh, you know 35 members of their you know Wu-Tang creative team, which, which they have going on down there, which uh, I should probably quit while I'm ahead on that one. But uh, yeah, so he's with Inspire Pro Wrestling now, a good friend of ours. He was our second show. We, you know, he came on and, and did an interview for us and and then our third show ever, the third Voices of Wrestling podcast ever, believe it or not, was an interview with Gabe Sapolsky. I have no idea how we pulled that off. I mean, we were literally, I mean, literally nobodies. I, I mean, I did, there was no reason for him to do our podcast. I mean, we, we were nothing. I mean, we literally had less than 10 people listening to the thing. I mean, less, you know, we had six people listen to the first one. And, you know, maybe 10 people listened to the second one because we picked up a few of the Anarchy Championship Wrestling fans who wanted to hear Biss talk for two hours. They definitely didn't care about us. And uh, what happened was I think we just struck at the right time. I mean, I, I sold Gabe a bill of goods. Cause, you know, there's this idea that me and Rich are, are like buddies with Gabe Sapolsky. I, you know, people have said that to us. And it's, it's absolutely not true. I mean um, – you know, I, we maintain no relationship with that man whatsoever. You know, beyond you know having him on the show once, and 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 you know, I've contacted him for quotes for stories before, and he's graciously responded. And I think he's somewhat aware of our presence. Uh, you know, he, he he interacts with our Twitter feed when he's not mad at us. Um, he actually interacts with it when he is mad at us too. 
Uh, but but no, but, but people have this idea that we're like friendly with him, and that's not the case. And maybe it's because we you know we landed that interview with him so early on in the game, and um, you know several hundred people listened to that one because it was Gabe Sapolsky, and to us that was. I mean, geez, you know, we went from six people listening to several hundred people listening. That was amazing. But we were able to land him because at the time he was in the middle of a controversy where he was uh, – there was a report in The Observer that he was offered or, or, or yeah, that he asked uh, – looking that he was looking for a job with Ring of Honor. And obviously – that kind of snowballed into people speculating that he was throwing in the towel on WWN Live and Dragon Gate USA. Why else would he be looking for work with Ring of Honor? And, you know, it, it was a story that was clearly fed to Meltzer by Jim Cornette, who was still with Ring of Honor at the time. Uh, his tenure was starting to wind down. And, and uh, you know, we decided to strike. I, I said to Rich, I said, look, you know, Gabe is hot about this. We have an opportunity. We can give him an outlet to talk about this situation and we can be the first podcast to land this guy and let him tell his side. We can get into a little exclusive here. Poof voice is resting on the map. You know, let's go. So he said, I right, go for it. So, you know, I contacted him and I sold him a bill of goods and, you know, made it sound like we were this tremendous podcast that had been around for years when in reality we had been around for about three weeks. And, uh, you know, he agreed to come on. And, you know, I, th- I think it helped that he, w- he was hot about that situation and um, maybe we were just th- the first people to contact him that gave him an opportunity to explain his side. So as it turned out, Ring of Honor had, co- had contacted Gabe and, and they wanted him to come to a show and, you know, accept some kind of plaque for some kind of lifetime achievement deal. And they, they basically, you know, you know, have the crowd give him a little standing ovation and recognize, you know, his contributions to the company and, from Gabe's point of view, it was, well, you know, I, I, I don't need that. I don't need this, you know, artificial pat on the back. Let's, let's do some business. Let's turn it into some kind of storyline or, you know, book me. You know, and then we'll do the, the, the plaque deal and then you could have a heel come out, whatever the case may be. But book me and let's turn it into something and, you know, create a little juice. And so technically, yeah, he did ask Ring of Honor for a job, quote unquote, he had no designs on leaving WWN Live or, or, or stopping, you know, whatever he was doing with Evolve and Dragon Gate USA. He just, you know, he wasn't just going to show up on a Ring of Honor show and, and accept some plaque that he was just going to throw in his closet. He decided, hey, well, look, if they want me, they can book me. So anyway, he came on the show to explain that situation. That's how we ended up booking Gabe on our third ever show. And, um, you know, of course, on the first two shows... The song that Rich used to, uh, as part of our intro, was that awful '90s WrestleMania song. I don't know if people remember this, but it, it, you know that 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 '90s oh oh WrestleMania that song. That was the intro to the Voices of Wrestling podcast on the first two long forgotten hopefully burned tapes of the first two shows we ever did. Because let me tell you, those shows were not good. Well, the first show wasn't good. The interview with Biss was all right because, you know, we, he was somebody we knew. We were comfortable with him, and it started off a little awkward. But that was all right because, you know, that was – but the first show was awful. You ever listen to one of these low-level podcasts and, 
you know, maybe it's a first time effort or maybe it's just, you know, two goofballs and you're bored and you're giving it a chance and you listen to this podcast and it's just awful. There's no energy. There's no, you know, the audio quality sounds like, you know, they're on two cans and a string. Um, you know, they're nervous and, and they just they just sound, you know, like a couple of complete zeros. Like that was us on our first pod. We were awful. No energy, no personality. I mean, Joe Lanza was a complete dud on that podcast. Now, Rich had a little bit of broadcasting experience. Rich was doing a sports talk show, which uh, you know lasted probably two or three years uh, that he was doing prior to Voices of Wrestling. He was doing a little sports talk show, so he had a little bit of experience. And yeah, believe me, I, I, I was awful. It was not the Joe Lanza that, that you know you have come to know and love. Believe me, yeah, I was the shits. Um, just no personality, no energy, nothing. So, uh, so anyway, um, I don't even remember what my point was here. We, we were explaining why Doomsday Clock is the intro song now. So anyway, we ditched that awful WrestleMania. So I said, look, we got Gabe Sapolsky coming on the show. Let's change up the intro song. And you know, at the time when Gabe Sapolsky was with Ring of Honor, they had cut a little deal with the Smashing Pumpkins at one point, and they were using Doomsday Clock as sort of the hype song when Ring of Honor would do... If you've ever been to a Ring of Honor live show, they, do, they, they, they don't do it anymore. Well, maybe they do. Actually, no, I, I, don't, I don't know if they still do it. But they would, anyway, they used to do a countdown before the show. They'd count down from 10, the lights would go out, they'd do a countdown... And then Doomsday Clock would come on, you know, after they cut their little deal with Smashing Pumpkins. So I said, I, you know, let's change it up. Let's do a little inside thing here. You know, a hardcore fan might appreciate it. So we went with Doomsday Clock as the replacing the awful '90s WrestleMania song. And uh, for the Gabe Sapolsky episode, the Gabe Sapolsky interview on Voices of Wrestling, we went with Doomsday Clock from Smashing Pumpkins, and it stuck. And now here we are years later. That was probably early 2012, so you know we're talking three years later, and we're still using that song as the intro. Because you know it's not a bad little intro. It's not a bad little song. You know, that little opening riff there, it it's, brings a little energy. You know, It hits you in the face a little bit. You know, start off a podcast, wakes you up a little. So we stuck with it. Might be getting a little long in the tooth. We might want to consider changing it. But you, know, you, you got to be careful. You know, people are used to the intro now. You don't want to shake it up and give people, a, a, you know, a whole new intro. Yeah, it's maybe they're into the Doomsday Clock intro. Who knows? But, uh, but yeah. And then Rich, of course, added the uh, the Jericho and the flare and the you know the the breaky 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 bishy 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 part of you know you know Rich is a master with this uh, soundboard. Let me tell you. But. Uh, but yeah, so that's a little story of how Doomsday Clock by Smashing Pumpkins. And let me tell you, Billy Corgan, you know, probably going to save this for when Rich comes back to go into more detail, but he's going to fall right on his face. Some of these ideas he has for TNA are just completely outlandish. I mean, it sounds like shit. I mean, talking about, you know, wanting to introduce transgender storylines and socially conscious uh, you know, uh, uh, narratives, and he wants TNA to be the all in the family of wrestling. And listen, listen, Billy, free advice, free of charge. Not going to charge you for this one. And, you know, he's probably not listening, but I will tell you, 
I have it on good authority that he has listened to the show before. We did two interviews with Jacques Barron, who was the co-owner of Resistance Pro over there in Chicago. There's a good chance Billy has listened to the show. Okay, so maybe he is listening. Who knows? Billy, if you're listening, I got some free advice for you. When people turn on the pro wrestling program, they don't want socially conscious storylines. They don't want uh, transgender issues pushed down their throat. They don't want serious real-life issues. Here's what people want when they put on wrestling, Billy. Here's what they want. That guy doesn't like that guy, and they're going to fight because they don't like each other. That's what people want. You know, this isn't you're not reinventing the wheel here. It's a very simple premise. That guy has a title that this other guy wants to win because the other guy thinks he's the best, and the title represents who really is the best. It's very simple. These are not difficult concepts. This is what has drawn money forever at its core. People don't want serious issues mixed in with their pro wrestling. Pro wrestling is entertainment. It's an escape. Okay, When you start introducing heavy topics into pro wrestling, people just roll their eyes and, and do something else. Like, they don't want that. Okay, People who put on Impact Wrestling on Friday nights want to put their feet up in their easy chair and watch Bobby Roode beat up Gunner. They, they, don't, they don't care about social issues for those two hours. Nor should they. It's not going to work. I mean, what, what does he think is going to happen here? Does he think if, if, if TNA has turned into some heavy product tackling these serious social issues that all of a sudden non-wrestling fans are going to latch on to the... No, it's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. Never. It's not going to work. You're not going to draw new fans by, by making the storyline. Listen. The last thing wrestling needs to be is some heavy-handed uppity uprocks article. That's not what wrestling needs to be. Wrestling does not need to be an uprocks article. Trust me. Trust me on that. Okay? Wrestling needs to be that guy doesn't like that guy and they're going to beat each other up. That's all it needs to be. You get two compelling people who don't like each other and then they fight. That's it. One of them doesn't need to be transgender. One of them doesn't need to be a bigot. I mean, you don't need that. I mean, somebody, this guy's nuts if he thinks this is, it's just not going to work. It's not what people want. It's not what pro wrestling is, and it's not what pro wrestling needs to be. So anyway, uh, we might get a little deeper on that when Rich comes back to the show one of these weeks. Who knows? But I got a lot to get. I got a lot to get to. And you know, Billy Corgan was and, and TNA was not one of the things that I intended to get to on this show. So I've already uh, wasted enough time going way off the format sheet. Surprise, surprise. But uh, actually, before I started uh, the show tonight. I was checking out our new SmackDown reviewer on our website, and I wanted to mention this quickly because 
I actually think she did a tremendous job. We had a we had several people. Taylor Mitchell had the back out of the SmackDown reviews on the site. He was watching them. Actually, was it Warren Taylor or Taylor Mitchell? I always get those two guys confused. Not that I get those two guys confused. I get what what they do for the site confused, and I always forget what they write. I'm pretty sure it was Taylor Mitchell who was doing the SmackDown reviews. Warren Taylor does the Evolve Eye pay-per-views and some other projects. But uh, he had to back out of the SmackDown reviews because he was watching it on Hulu Plus, and he wasn't getting it on his cable package anymore, and it was just became too difficult. So he gave up the SmackDown duties. We were looking for a new SmackDown reviewer. We might have missed one week I don't know if we missed one week or not, but uh, we had a couple different applicants, and they were all excellent. We had people uh, send in some writing samples, and um, it really came down to two people, and, and we really couldn't decide. And what we were thinking about doing was running sort of a contest and letting the readers decide who got the gig. We were going to run uh, dual SmackDown reviews for a couple of weeks and let people vote on it. Figured it might get a little attention, you know, get, bring some, you know, bring some hits to the site. Maybe the two people would, uh, if they got into it, they would, you know, uh, campaign and, uh, you know, yeah, but you know that guy. We we threw that idea out. Uh, we got that was actually my idea, and I got talked out of it by the other suits that run this place. And um, you know, it was for the better. I mean, what it came down to was we basically have two people competing for an unpaid bottom level writing position on the site. You know, bringing them in as a rookie, and uh, you know, to make them compete for something like that kind of came off a little, I don't know, uh, uncouth. So we didn't go that direction. So we just manned up, and uh, we went with Rue Gunn, who is the new SmackDown reviewer. And I was reading her review before I came on the air, and uh, I highly recommend it. She really did an excellent job, especially for a first-time effort. Um, good sense of humor. You know, without trying to go out there and, and, and being Louis Anderson or something and trying to force jokes down your did I just did I really just use a Louis Anderson reference in two thousand fifteen? I mean, not only has Louis Anderson not been relevant for about twenty years, but um Rue Gunn is a female. I'm comparing her to Louis Anderson. not only was that not a contemporary reference, it, it was the wrong gender. So uh well, let me rewind on that for a minute. She's funny without trying to be. I cannot even think of a female comedian. Is that amazing or what? Big comedy fan, too. She's funny without trying to be Amy Schumer. How about that? How about Amy Schumer? Amy Schumer's a tremendous comedian, by the way. Her show is outstanding. It's in season three now, uh, Inside Amy Schumer on uh, Comedy Central. Tremendous show. It gets better and better every season. If you follow me on the Shoot Twitter account, I talk about this show from time to time. Actually, a couple nights ago, a brilliant episode of Inside Amy Schumer. They did a uh, a parody of Twelve Angry Men, and it had a couple of guest stars, uh, Nick DiPaolo among others. And it was it's just it was brilliant. It's you know, and I, I'm not trying to throw that word around flippantly, but it was brilliant television. This mock up of Twelve Angry Men on Inside Amy Schumer. Her her show gets better and better every season. It's it's just it's smart. It's edgy. It's offensive in all the right ways. It's in your face. And it, it, it's, she's just tremendous. But, uh, but yeah, anyway, so, so this Rue Gunn, who does the SmackDown report now, she's, you know, she's funny without forcing it and, and trying to be, you know, she's, she's very knowledgeable about the product. You can tell that immediately when you start reading it. Um, and and a, an excellent writer, already one of the best writers on the site, blows me away in terms of uh, writing ability. Another person who makes me feel like shit 
for how much of a shitty writer I am. So that's the last thing we needed on this site. Someone else to make me feel like a complete zero when it comes to my writing ability. So uh, check out her SmackDown report. And the other thing about Rue, and I really hope I'm pronouncing her name correctly, uh, R-U and then uh, G-U-N-N. I, listen, I, that looks like Rue Gun to me. So if it's not Rue Gun, uh, yeah, I apologize. But uh, uh, the other thing is, you know, she, we're going to be posting these reviews before the show airs in North America. How about that? So this will be, and you know how I am when it comes to timely reviews. I, I don't like shit to be late. I think when it's late and it's no longer topical, nobody cares. And, you know, that bothers me a lot. And uh, these are reviews that are going to be up before the show airs because uh, she's somewhere in Europe and is going to get it, you know, half a day early or whatever. And she's going to have these reviews up. So you can come to our site, read the review, see what kind of show SmackDown was, and then decide if you want to watch it or not. So how about that? You talk about timely reviews. These reviews come out before the show even airs. So yeah, nothing wrong with that. But uh, yeah, wanted to plug that quickly and make sure that people are aware of uh, – it seems like this Rue Gun is going to do a tremendous job. So we're excited about that. Also new on the site, we've got a new Big Show with his guest Chris Zellner that's getting rave reviews. I'm not just saying that. It's legitimately getting rave reviews. Uh, so give that a listen, Chris Zellner. Always an interesting uh, dude to listen to. There's a new Shake Them Ropes that came out a couple days ago. Chris Harrington checked in with a WrestleNomics radio breaking down WWE quarter one results. And nobody does it better than Chris Harrington. I mean, you know, so when it comes down to breaking down the facts and figures when it comes to uh, these quarterly results. So lots of interesting stuff on the site. Voicesofwrestling.com. Check it out. Uh, Rob McCarron's NXT review is there as well with the uh, Yuhan Nation debut that I'm sure Rich is probably going to want to handle uh, later this week when he does his show. I should mention, this is not going to be the only Voices of Wrestling flagship podcast for this week. Rich is going to do a show either by himself or with a guest. He's scrambling to find a guest because, unlike me, Rich is scared to do a show by himself. All right? Let's face it. But, uh, yeah, so he'll probably find himself a guest, and he's going to handle half of the topics of the week. I'm going to handle half of the topics of the week. There may be a little bit of overlap, but I'm going to leave the NXT stuff to, uh, to Rich and whoever he gets to fill in for me. And uh, if you want to uh, read a written review, uh, Rob McCarron's new review is up on the site. But let's jump in to the topics that I actually do have on the format sheet. It only took 25 minutes to actually get back on track here. But let's start Best of Super Juniors. And the Best of Super Junior blocks were released. As I record this, they were, they were released a, uh, the, last night. I don't know when you're going to be listening to this. I'm recording this on uh, Thursday night slash early Friday morning. These brackets were released on Thursday in Japan, uh, wee hours of the morning Thursday in North America. And I'll tell you, mixed reviews for these Best of the Super Juniors blocks, but I, I really don't understand where people are coming from who are disappointed with these blocks. Um, now, granted, they essentially booked this thing for Joe Lanza. I mean, you know, there's there's Joe Lanza favorites all over this thing. So, you know, that could have a lot to do with why I like it so much. I'm not going to go as far to say this is the best, you know, best of Super Juniors lineup ever. Uh, it probably isn't. But I'll tell you what, this might be one of the more interesting best of the Super Junior lineups. This is an interesting field. I mean, look at this field. There's some matchups here they thought you'd never see. Who would ever think... 
Cavanario would have a singles match with Chase Owens. I mean, think about that. Cavanario versus Yohei Komatsu. Dave Finley against Mascara Dorada. I mean, these are matches that are going to happen. So again, this might not be the best, best of the Super Juniors lineup, but it's, it really is an interesting one. There's a lot of interesting things going on here. And really, the only drawback to this tournament is there's absolutely no question who's going to win. Kushida's winning this tournament. I mean, you're nuts if you think he's not winning. The, the only way Kushida doesn't win this tournament is if he gets hurt during the tournament. That's the only thing stopping him from not winning this tournament. They've already shot the angle with Kushida and Kenny Omega. Kenny Omega has already gone through several of the people who were in this tournament. Um, so, I mean, it, it's going to be Kushida. But there have been tournaments before where, you know, winners have been obvious, but it's still been an interesting tournament, or it's still been a great tournament. And I think this could be a very interesting tournament. There's a ton of matchups on paper here. I mean, Cavanario versus Kyle O'Reilly. Whoever thought you'd see a match like that? That's going to happen, people. It's going to happen. It's a lot of fun. A lot of fun matchups here. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to break down who's in the blocks. I'm going to add a little flavor to it. I find the A block a little more interesting only because we all know Kushida is coming out of the B block. And in that last night in Corican, before the finals, Kushida is facing Alex Shelley. Of course, they're tag team partners. And obviously that match is going to determine who wins block B. I think that's pretty obvious. They haven't given a match order for that card yet because they don't want to play their hand. But if you follow New Japan at all, it's, I mean, come on. They couldn't make it more obvious that that match is going to determine the block winner. And Shelly's not going to win because he just had his title challenge against Omega. They're not going to go right back to that. And Kushida saved Shelly, you know from the Bullet Club shenanigans in that match and to set up the angle with Omega. So he's going to beat Shelly and he's going to go into the finals. What's more intriguing to me is who will he face in the finals out of block A? And I'm really hoping it's not Taguchi. He'd literally be my very last choice of the eight people. But unfortunately, I do think he's the odds-on favorite to come out of that block. And, you know, Kushida Taguchi, I mean, for, for, for the finals here, with the winner going on to Dominion to face Kenny Omega for the title, and it'll be Kushida. But that match for the finals will have no juice, at least not for me. I, I, I can't get into I, Look, Taguchi's always been a bit dry, but now that he's doing all this comedy, throwing his ass into people and this ass-based offense, I just can't get into it. It's just not what I want. I, you know. Taguchi right now, it just I'm just not interested. He's capable of going out there and having a good match, but he's doing these wacky shenanigans. I'm just not into it. I'm sorry, I'm just not. And unfortunately, I think he's going to come out of that block. But it's a very interesting block. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to go through the A block, talk a little bit about each guy, and I'm going to give you the official Joe Lanza betting odds for who's going to come out of this block. And I'm going to start at the bottom with the longest odds and work my way up to who I believe is the favorite, who obviously I just gave it away. It's Taguchi. But let's start at the bottom here. At 1,000 to 1 to win the block, and again, this is not to win the entire tournament, 
This is to win the block. At 1,000 to 1 to win the A block, I've got Yohei Komatsu. Now, you're not going to find a bigger Yohei Komatsu fan than me. And when I saw that he was announced for this tournament, um, you know, I went apeshit. Especially when I saw Komatsu and Gato, two of my favorite wrestlers. And I'll talk about Gato a little more in a minute. But I've got Komatsu at 1,000 to 1. Look, he's probably going 0-7. If there's a win here for Komatsu, it might be over Gato because Gato has no ego as a booker. I mean, he never wins. Um, there's also the outside shot that he could beat a guy like Chase Owens, but I don't see it. I think, in fact, Komatsu will be Chase Owens' only win. I mean, Chase Owens isn't coming out of this with more than four points. He'll beat Komatsu, and he may upset somebody else. Maybe Gato, Cavanario, somebody like that. But as for Komatsu, you know, if you look at his booking, you know, I posted a series of tweets a couple days before these brackets were announced, and you really see that they were building some momentum for Komatsu. Let me give you some stats. Yohei Komatsu, young lion now. Remember, this is a young lion. He's won 9 of his last 14 matches, 11 of his last 20, and 13 of his last 24 matches. This guy's 13 and 11 in his last 24 matches. This is a young lion. They don't win matches. He has a winning record over his last 24 matches. You extend that to, you you want to make it a nice round number over his last 20, he has a winning record over his last 25 matches. He's 13 and 12 over his last 25 matches. So as you can see for the last few months, now look, he's beating other young Lions. He's beating Sho Tanaka. He's beating Jay White. Okay, especially his only he, he has singles wins. They're all over Tanaka or White. But the key here is those guys aren't beating him anymore. Tanaka hasn't beaten Komatsu in quite a while. And they, you know, for a while there they traded wins. They were on an even play. Now Komatsu has been beating Tanaka. And he's been beating Jay White. Jay White still doesn't have a win. But he's not just loading up on those guys. In singles matches. Yohei Komatsu has a bunch of straight two-on-two tag team wins. Teaming with people like Jushin Liger. Satoshi Kojima. Hiroshi Tanahashi. So he's in there in tag matches with some big guns. Some of the biggest guns around with Tanahashi. And he's winning tag matches with those guys. And and, in, in some cases, he's scoring the fall. So you kind of saw this coming. This guy's 9-5 and five in his last 14 matches. 9-5! and five. You know, so when I wrote my uh, Wrestling Duntaku review, which we'll get to later in the show, I said, look, they're starting to push these guys a little bit. Not necessarily. Push is probably not the right word. But they're showing signs that a push is coming for these guys. And when these guys, I mean Komatsu and Tanaka. Jay White is a long ways off. He just got there. He'll be losing for another year or two. Same for Cody Hall, who just won his first match, by the way, very recently. And, they, and, and Hall, they don't even trust him enough to work singles matches. Jay White, they're at least putting in some singles matches because Jay White's very good. 
Cody Hall has yet to have a singles match in New Japan. That is telling. They don't trust him in a singles situation. But he did pick up his first win in a tag. But anyway, Komatsu and Tanaka, it, you know, it seems like they're they're inching towards doing something with these guys. And you look at Komatsu's record, 9-5 over his last 14, 11-9 over his last 20, 13-11 over his last 24. Those are significant figures for a young Lion. Those are significant one-loss records. And now he's got a spot in the best of the Super Juniors. And he's probably going to go on with seven, but that's okay. Big opportunity here. Thousand to one to win the block. Probably should have given him longer odds than that. But regardless, still a big opportunity. Chase Owens. Seventh longest odds. I've got him at 100 to 1 to win the block. Block A. Look, there's another interesting name in this tournament. It's good to see. I got no problem with Chase Owens in this field. Because again, it gives you some fresh, interesting matchups. I was kind of hoping he'd be in it, and he is. Good for him. This will be the biggest tour of his career. And he's going to have some of the biggest matches of his career. He's already had several matches against Jushin Liger. He'll have another one in this tournament. And uh, now he's going to get in there and mix it up with guys like Taguchi. uh, Cavanario, who's a rising star in Mexico. Kyle O'Reilly. These are big matches for a guy like Chase Owens. Big matches. This is good stuff. But he has no prayer winning this block. I mean, that's just not going to happen. So I've got him at 100 to 1. His only win will probably be over Komatsu. If we're really being honest about it. He could beat a Gato. I really don't know what they're going to do with Gato. And I might as well transition into Gato now. I've got Gato at 50 to 1 to win the block. Um, you know, when it comes to Gato and, and to a lesser extent, you know, they could do the old man miracle run with one of those guys, with Gato or Liger. They could. Um, it's not likely, but it's not out of the realm of possibility that they do that. And I, I, I don't think either one of them would win the block, but I, I, they could have one of those guys go far in the block, do well, and maybe come down to the last day with a chance to win the block and kind of be like a sentimental favorite. Especially if the idea is to have Kyle O'Reilly ultimately win the block. Because O'Reilly positioned as a heel. Liger or Gato would be a massive babyface under that scenario to to win the block over a guy like O'Reilly. The problem is I think Taguchi is going to be in the mix. And then the story doesn't really have the same flavor. Because Taguchi's a babyface. So I really don't know what to do with Gato. But here's what I know about Gato. I'm thrilled as fuck that he's in this tournament. Because he's one of my favorite wrestlers. I mean, people who listen to this show, follow our Twitter feed, know that. I'm a huge, huge Gato fan. I, I am on record as saying that I think Gato is one of the ten best workers in the company. And I mean that. The guy's just a great worker. He's still a great worker. Well into his 40s. And... I think that he could have uh, a couple of really cool matches in this tournament. Now, he could book himself to go 0-7 or 1-6 or something. Um, you know, 
Komatsu could get a big upset win over him, and you know, I, I don't know. You know, he could you know, book himself terribly. That's you know because he has no ego. But I do think he he could have some cool matches, and 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 the one last time old man run is not completely out of the question. Not in in this block, which is a relatively uh, weaker block. I, it's possible. And look, I could do an hour on Gato, but I'm not going to do it. I know nobody wants to hear it, but Gato's great. Gato's great. I mean, there have been best of Super Juniors in recent years where Giotto was in the field, but Gato wasn't, and that just didn't make any sense. Giotto has been washed up for a long time, and uh, Gato can still go at a very high level when he wants to. Uh, Next up, I got Cavanario, another guy who, I mean, universally, people are just thrilled that this guy's in the tournament. This guy is a force of nature. If you haven't seen Cavan Ariel, this is one of the most compelling and exciting wrestlers in the world. In the world. No doubt about it. He's that good. He's that dynamic. He's that exciting. Tons of charisma. Very unique. His gimmick, as his name implies, he's a fucking caveman. And he wrestles like a caveman. He brings a bone to the ring. He dresses like an extra from the Flintstones. And he works with a ferocity to match that of a caveman. He's a force of nature. And he probably earned this tour at Fantastica Mania, where he had an excellent tour. And believe me, he wasn't given a chance to to to, uh, to shine all that much on that tour. Wasn't a lot of tag matches early in the car, but he still managed to stand out on that tour. Had a great tour, and I think he's gonna have a great tour here. Uh, the matches to keep an eye on with him: Kyle O'Reilly, Yohei Komatsu. How's that gonna go down? How is Gate? How is Cavanario versus Yohei Komatsu gonna go down? Is he going to eat that kid alive? I mean, he should. He shouldn't sell in that match. He should not sell in that match. Now, is he going to win the block? No. I've got him at 25-1, to 1, and that might even be generous. Um, you know, just look at booking history of CMLL talent in Best of Super Juniors. Eh, they're there to take falls. They'll, you know, they'll win two or three matches at the most. Um, whether it's Angel de Oro several years ago or in the past to Mascara Dorada, who, to be fair, this year is going to do better because he's a full-time member of the, of the New Japan roster. But um, you know, these guys never do particularly well. I think you could do a little better than your than your common you know CMLL quote-unquote job guy who comes in here and just loses everybody. I mean, he's not losing the Komatsu. I, I you know... Politically, it'll be interesting to see how they treat him with a guy like Chase Owens. I, I would, you know, obviously their relationship with CMLL is higher on the pecking order than their relationship with NWA. I mean, the Fantastica Mania tour is a, a, an enormous um, uh, financial success for New Japan, and it grows every year. Whereas, you know, the, the NWA matches have now been relegated to uh, the Road Two shows on the tours. They don't even get spots on the major pay per views. So you would think that Cavanario will beat Chase Owens. You would think that he would beat a Yohei Komatsu. You would think that he would beat a Gato. I mean, that's three wins right there. So at worst, you're looking at this guy going three and four. At worst. 
Can he be in the mix heading into the final day? Sure. Can he come out of the block? No. I don't see that happening. But I tell you, if you haven't seen this guy, if you've got New Japan World, check out those Fantastic Mania Tour shows and check out his matches in particular. I mean, he had the best singles match on that tour. And he was great in the tag matches, too. He's a great wrestler. He's fantastic. Now, he's a little banged up coming into this, but they don't think it's serious. They think he just needs a little bit of rest, and he'll be okay. I don't think they would have announced him if they didn't, if they thought it was up in the air whether he was going to work or not. He's working this tour. Again, this is the biggest tour of his life. Worldwide stage. I mean, you know, so he's going to work this tour. Next up, I have Liger. In his 24th best of the Super Juniors tournament, I've got him at 20 to 1 to come out of the block. Again, it's hard to read. You know, typically he doesn't get pushed at this level, but he could get that, you know, that one last run, that Rocky run. So who knows? Wouldn't completely shock me if he won the block. It would surprise me. Wouldn't completely shock me. We're starting to get in the territory of guys who can possibly win the block. Especially after this. But I tell you, man, Liger still knows how to work a match. Even as he's more and more physically limited as he gets a little older. Doesn't fly around like he used to, but he still knows how to work a match. And there's still matches here, uh, potential matches here where he could have excellent matches with people. I mean, Liger versus Cavanario. Liger versus O'Reilly. And, the, and these guys who come in, these gaijins who come in, get excited about working with a guy like Liger. The guy's a fucking legend. A legitimate legend. You don't think Trent is hyped up about a singles match with Liger? You're out of your mind. Speaking of Trent, I've got him at 5-1. to one. And now we're talking about people who could legitimately win the block. Now, look, if the block was a little stronger, if maybe Dorado was in this block... Or Shelly, somebody like that. I'd knock, the, I'd knock a guy like Trent down a few pegs. But look, he's been treated well in the booking. They've made a concern. You know, he scored falls for his team with Romero, even though Romero's the veteran of the team. He's already held a title. They treat him well in the booking. He's a guy that they like. Could absolutely win the block. I don't think he's one of the two favorites. But this is a guy where it wouldn't surprise me if, if he won the block and went into the fight. Now, look, you know, and then it, it, it's a guy, you know, who could have a good match with Kushida. There's a little story there. You know, his team's always in constant struggles over these junior tag titles. It is a little, you know, a little juice there. Kyle O'Reilly, I have it 3-1. to one. And really, it, it, to me, it comes down to him and Taguchi. It really does. Um. O'Reilly is a guy who, along with Taguchi, who I have at 2-1, to one, it's going to be one of these two. Taguchi as the veteran of the division, well, the veteran who's still relevant. Because Liger, no longer relevant. Gato, no longer relevant. Taguchi is a guy who has recently held the, uh, the junior title, still quote-unquote in his prime. You know, storyline-wise, decent obstacle for Kushida to overcome, no matter what I think of the guy. I'd much rather see 
Uh, I think anybody I, I would rather see Kushida take on O'Reilly in the final. So I'm pulling for O'Reilly. But I, 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 I just have this – I just really think it's going to be Taguchi coming out of the block. So I give him a slight edge. He's a slight favorite over O'Reilly. But it'll definitely be one of those two. Now, if you take a look at the final Cork and Hall show, because I think there's three or four total shows at Cork and for this tour, including the tour opener, which Gato is main eventing, by the way. It's Gato and Taguchi in the main event of the tour opener at Cork and Hall. How about that? You know, Gato, when he's in a singles match, a rare singles match in Cork and Hall, he always gets a tremendous reaction. That crowd loves him. So, the final night of of, uh, of the round robin is also in Cork and Hall. And of course, you know, the key B-block match is going to be Shelly and Kushida, and Kushida will win. Now, the, um, let's see. I know, compelling radio, right? I accidentally closed the page as I'm desperately looking for these uh, best of Super Junior cards because I want to see who Taguchi and O'Reilly are facing on that final night in Cork and Hall before the finals. So, okay, here we go. So... Corkinall, and this is the 5th. This will be the 5th of June. And again, there's no match order because they don't want to tip their hand. Kyle O'Reilly faces Gato. And Taguchi faces Chase Owens. So they're both in matches that they're going to win. So if it comes down to the two of them, whoever goes on second is probably going to uh, move on. Unless they do the deal on the last day where they do the big upset. In that case, there could be a little... I, I can't see Chase Owens beating Taguchi. I really can't. I could see Gato getting some kind of wacky upset over Kyle O'Reilly, though, for the big pop and cork. And maybe that's just the uh, Homer in me speaking. Beretta faces Yohei Kamatsu on the final day. Obviously, he's winning that. So if he's in the mix, he has himself a layup. Liger versus Cavanario, also in that block. So yeah, it's hard to get a read. Hard to get a read. So that's block A. Block B, of course, look, it, you know, Kushida's winning the block. And he's winning the tournament. But, it, you know, it's a fun block. There's a ton There's a ton of fun matches there. Tiger Mask, Kushida, Alex Shelley, Mascara Dorada, Dave Finley, New Japan debut will be on this tour. He's been in the dojo for a while now. Rocky Romero, Bobby Fish, another Joe Lanza favorite, and uh, Nick Jackson. Nico Jackson. No, Matto Jackson, because his wife is due. So uh, he's going to stay home, and uh, hopefully they'll have themselves a healthy child while the brother's taking part in the best of Super Juniors. 
So in terms of, you know, the B block is going to produce better matches. I think that's pretty obvious. Because there's very little dead weight. Look, we don't know what we're going to get out of Finley other than he's going 0-7. But I've never seen the guy wrestle personally. So I can't really comment. We don't know what we're going to get out of him. But we, what we know for sure we're going to get is seven losses. He's going to be staring at the lights seven times. Tiger Mask is going to be his usual average self. The other six guys are all tremendous. You got Kushida. You got Alex Shelley. You got Dorada. You got Nick Jackson. You got Bobby fucking Fish. Another Joe Lanza favorite. You got Rocky Romero who's one of the most underrated wrestlers in the world. So from a match quality perspective, even though the block is predictable – you're going to get better matches in that block, I would think. In fact, I'm fairly confident. Now, this tournament actually would be perfect if Dorada was in the A block. Maybe switch him out with Cavanario. Because you don't want to have those guys in the same block. Both CMLL guys. Because then what you would have is that interesting dynamic. You know, you don't lose any quality with Cavanario and Dorada you know, as far as putting Cavanario in the B block, you still have all those tremendous matchups for him. But by putting Dorada in the A block, what you do is you can set up a Mascara Dorada Kushida final, which I think would be a tremendous final. You could have the A block come down to Dorada and O'Reilly and have Dorada beat O'Reilly. And then you could have Dorada face Kushida, which is another match they've kind of teased. And you could have that in the finals, but you know, you're, I'm wasting my breath there because Kushida and Dorada are both in the B block. So that's a minor mistake that they made, I believe. I believe the final should have been Dorada and Kushida. But I'm not going to complain too hard if it's O'Reilly and Kushida because I think that's a great dynamic. You also have the dynamic of the native Japanese against the Gaijin in the final. If you do uh, O'Reilly, well, I guess you would have had that with Dorada too. But the Japanese, they really like hating the Americans. Works a little better. So I'm not going to complain about an O'Reilly-Kushida f- uh, final if that's what we get. I just would have preferred Dorada. But again, you know, I, look, that block is going to have great matches. So again, this, this is not the best, best of Super Juniors lineup ever. There have been better lineups. But this is a very compelling lineup. It's very interesting. There's a lot of fun stuff here to sink your teeth into. I'm very surprised that there's people not into it. There's people into it. There's a lot of people excited about Cavanario. Um, obviously, I'm real excited because I've got Komatsu. I've got Gato. I've got Bobby Fish. I've got Cavanario. I've got Dorada. These guys are all favorites of mine. I like Chase Owens a lot. I probably like him more than most people. I'm telling you, it's like they booked this thing for me. I appreciate that. New Japan's thinking about Joe Lanza. Nothing wrong with that. Tour itself runs from the 22nd of May, and the final night in Corkin is the 5th of um, 5th of June. So, you know, pretty long tour, and then uh, wraps up with the finals, which nothing is announced other than the winner of the A block versus the winner of the B block, and that's going to be in, uh, in Tokyo on the 7th, two days after Corkin Hall. The 7th. That's going to be on a Sunday. I'm sure that'll be on uh, New Japan World. They've only got two of these shows announced for New Japan World as of right now, but that's going to change. 
you could expect uh, several more to air on New Japan World. And um, you know, there's actually uh, a bunch of you know heavyweight ten man and eight man tags scattered within the tournament. So uh, the opening night though, the twenty second, New Japan World, Cork and Hall, Taguchi and Gato, like I said, is the main event. But um, the semi-main event, Kushida Dorada, first night. How about that? I just talked about hoping that would be the final under a different scenario. And they're going to face off right there on the first night. Beretta versus Kyle O'Reilly. Rocky Romero versus Bobby Fish. A wacky 10-man with uh, the heavyweights. With Chaos versus the New Japan Army. Kevin Ariel versus Chase Owens. What a weird match. What a weird match. An NWA wrestler, a, you know, smoky mountain territory indie dude against, you know, this just this beast from CMLL from versus a caveman from CMLL. I mean, come on. Alex Shelley versus uh, Finley, Tiger Mask versus Nico Jackson. And Jushin Thunder Liger against Yohei Komatsu is the opener. And that's on New Japan World. So, there's your best of the Super Juniors preview. We're going to talk a lot more about that, I would suspect, on the uh, on the podcast when, when Rich returns next week. And uh, I don't know if he plans on talking about it with whoever his uh, mystery partner is for the second Voices of Wrestling podcast coming up later this week. I'm going to take a short break. And we're going to come back and talk a little bit about Wrestling Duntaku. We're going to review that. And then we're going to talk a little bit about the absolute disaster of a press conference that Global Force Wrestling had a couple of days ago. And their roster reveal. So stick around. I'll be right back with much more of Flying Solo here on the Voice of Wrestling Podcast. Joe Lanza back with a solo edition of the Voices of Wrestling podcast. We're going to review Wrestling Dantaku, sticking with the New Japan theme. And then we're going to do a little bit of Global Force Wrestling and talk about their absolute dumpster fire of a press conference that they had. And talk a little bit about the roster reveal and my thoughts on the roster uh, that they've announced thus far. And, uh, you know, maybe get into some rumors of... Um, of, of where they go from here. But we're going to start with Wrestling Dantaku. And I guess just, just for a little bit of house cleaning, we're not going to do the Dragon Gate Dead or Alive stuff on this podcast. I think we're going to save that for when me and Rich are back together. I know Rich watched the show. He enjoyed it. And he has some strong thoughts about it. Uh, the other thing is, I still have not seen the entire show because the Nico Nico service just does not agree with Joe Lanza. I don't know what it is. Other people don't have any trouble with it. Uh, to be fair, I'm not the only person who struggles with Nico Nico. Nico Nico is um, – uh, now look, here's the thing. It's a Japanese iPay-per-view service which is designed to accept Japanese funds and Japanese currency. Um, sure, there are ways around that. Certain Western banks can sneak through. There, You can buy gift cards and – jump through hoops and there's ways to do it and look and that's fine but the bottom line is i've tried to use this service uh you know my particular bank is very tight you know i 
I've I, listen. I've talked on this show about all the various um, wacky things that have happened with you know with you know my debit card with my bank with my electric getting turned off and everything else because. Um, they're very quick to to shut down charges on my card if there if there's non routine charges and I, I'm in, I, in fact I'm going through that again I have got to I've got to you know change my account number again because they are suspecting suspicious activity on my card so uh, for whatever the reason Nico Nico just um, it does not agree with me it does not agree with my bank and and I'm I've, I've now wiped my hands of Nico Nico um, you know this time I finally got the thing to work. And I watched half the show, and it was about four or five in the morning, and I had to be at work at eight. So I planned to come back the next day and watch the rest of the show. And now, nah, you know, I, I I can't get the I, I I can't seem to get the the stream to work now to watch the rest of the show. I guess I didn't time shift. I there's this whole time shift deal. I don't know what's going on. Bottom line is, I've only seen half the show. So I'm waiting for some kind of illegal upload somewhere so I can watch the rest of the show. And from now on, I'm not messing with Nico Nico. With their smiling points and their time shifting, I'm not dealing with it. It's too frustrating. Uh, it doesn't want to work for me. I've tried to give Dragon Gate my money, but Nico Nico just doesn't want to take it. And then when they finally do take my money, I can't watch a replay of the show. So I, I'm done. I, it's frustrating. I'm pulling my hair out over here. I can't deal with it anymore. So when Dragon Gate was on Ustream, I bought every one of the shows. Uh, I've attempted to buy these Nico shows. From now on, look, I'm you know I'm just gonna have to watch these shows under the cloak of darkness uh, with the rest of the thieves. I have no other choice. So anyway, we'll get to the dead or alive after I watch the rest of the show and after Rich rejoins me uh, probably next week. So we're not gonna do dead or alive, but I am gonna do wrestling Dantaku. And by the time I get back together with Rich, this show is gonna be old news. So might as well get out of the way now. And review it on my own. And uh, speaking of old news, you know that's why the Dead or Alive uh, review hasn't been done on the site yet. I was assigned to that, and because I've only seen half the show, I haven't been able to get the review up. By the time I watch the rest of the show and write the review, it's going to be ancient news, and nobody's going to read the review. You know, I say this all the time on Twitter, and people get on me. They say, "Joe, it's not a big deal." You know, people do reviews for shows that took place in the 80s. You know, people are reviewing, you know, uh, Attitude Era Raw. Well, look, that's fine for retro reviews. There's a place for retro reviews, absolutely. The thing is, there's this gray area in between. There's this gray area in between topical and retro, okay? To me, if you're going to put a review up of a major pay-per-view show, you got to have it up within 24 hours. You just do. And the statistics – look, I see the statistics on the site. The statistics back me up. The older – the longer it takes for a review to get out, the older a review is, the less people will click on it and read it. It's just – it's out of sight, out of mind. Nobody cares anymore. So by the time I write this Dead or Alive review, you know, every day that passes – that's less eyes that are going to click on the thing because people just don't care. They, they've either read a review somewhere else or they're not thinking about the show anymore because we live in a day and age where you know there's wrestling shows all over the globe every day and they're all accessible. You move on quickly. No one has time to sit around. You know, no, no one's sitting on their couch tapping their foot waiting for Joe Lanza's silly Dead or Alive review to come out a week after the show. Okay, If they wanted to read a Dead or Alive review, they've read plenty already. So it's very frustrating for me because I can't get this review out in a timely manner. I'm not happy about it. 
So anyway, sometime in the year 2017, look for my Dragon Gate Dead or Alive review. Uh, we will review it verbally on the podcast next week, I'm sure. But right now, I'm going to do Wrestling Dontaku. Before that's old news. Man, that, that just really frustrates me. Um, look, Dontaku, not a great show. Didn't really expect it to be a great show. I don't think anybody expected it to be a great show. Um, in that review, which was up in a timely manner that I wrote for the site, I'd even mention it's kind of like it's become the forgotten show every year because it's sort of wedged in between Invasion Attack, which is one of the major shows for New Japan, which has emerged as one of the major shows for New Japan. And then right after Dantaku is Super Juniors, and then, of course, Dominion. And now, it, you know, these, these Ring of Honor... War of the Worlds and uh, you know whatever the other gimmick is called, the, the Toronto and New York shows for Ring of Honor now as well come right on the heels of Dantaku. So there's major shows both before and after Dantaku. So Dantaku sort of gets lost in the shuffle. And this year's card had a relatively weaker main event than they usually put on Dantaku too. Because, you know, if you look at the history of wrestling Dantaku, they usually have a pretty decent IWGP heavyweight title match. Last year was Okada versus Styles. And Styles, of course, won the title after attacking Okada in an invasion attack. The year before, Okada defended against Minoru Suzuki. The year before that, Okada defended against Hiroki Goto. And the year before that, it was Tanahashi versus Nakamura. So it's not as if this show gets, you know, a garbage main event. It gets a big-time main event most years. It's just caught in a tricky spot. And this year's main event was the first main event since uh, the revival of this show in 2009. Because this was a show that they ran sporadically from 1993 until about 2001. And they ran it in the bigger building. In Fu- it was always in Fukuoka. But in those days... When the company was uh, was truly red hot, they ran the much bigger building. And then when things cooled off, when Anoki screwed everything up, and they crawled towards the Dark Ages in the early part of the first decade of this millennium, they stopped running. They, uh, they ran the smaller building in Fukuoka, and then they just stopped running the show. And then they didn't have any Dantaku shows from 2002 to 2008. And they revived the concept in 2009, and have run it every year since in this conference center and they usually draw between 5,000 and 7,000 fans. So this year's show was the first since the revival of Dantaku in 2009 that did not feature an IWGP heavyweight title match in the main event. In fact, this show did not have an IWGP heavyweight title match at all. This was a show where Shinsuke Nakamura headlined defending his Intercontinental title. Which, over the last two years, he has headlined pretty much every other major pay-per-view as uh, Intercontinental Champion. And has done well. They usually allow him to headline these slightly smaller venues. But they give him very little support underneath. Because they expect him to be able to carry these slightly smaller buildings on his own as one of the big five now in New Japan, in terms of the big five draws. You know, the company that desperately needs to create new stars and doesn't have anybody that can draw, yet they have five major draws you know, on their roster, which, that's stupid narrative. Um, 
So yeah, and, and it was a relatively weak opponent with Goto. And, you know, not from a work rate perspective. I mean, Hiroki Goto is one of the best wrestlers in the world. I mean, let's be realistic about it. But New Japan fans don't believe in Hiroki Goto anymore because he has a reputation of being a choker. Even when this guy does win a tournament, he then usually loses the subsequent title match. When this guy wins a title, he generally loses it right back. Case in point, winning the tag team titles with Katsuyori Shibata at the Tokyo Dome and immediately losing them back at New Beginning to Guns and Gallows. So... Not a particularly strong main event from that standpoint, and really nothing underneath. Because you look at the rest of the big five, AJ Styles, Okada, Tanahashi, Ubushi, all tag matches. In fact, Ubushi was in a prelim, second match on the show. Tanahashi in a uh, you know a six-man match which was just a setup for his upcoming singles match against Yano at Dominion. And then AJ and Okada on opposite ends of a tag match in the semi-main event. So again, they relied on Shinsuke Nakamura to draw. Now, the interesting thing about this show from a business perspective is they drew um, a little over 5,000 fans, which is strange. Because when you look at the pictures, there's very few empty seats, less than 1,000 empty seats. And the thing is, this show in the same conference hall has drawn 7,000 fans the last several years, which, and I haven't gotten a clear answer on this, I'm wondering if they ran a slightly smaller room in the conference center, because New Japan runs these conference centers with, with, with rooms of varying size, and that's the case in Fukuoka, and you know, you look at the pictures, there's very few empty seats. A member of our staff attended the show. Uh, Damon slash Michael McDonald, depending which first name he wants to use uh, on a given day, was there. Went to the box office for us before the show to ask about ticket availability. They told him there were very few seats left. He took a picture of the seating chart, which showed all of the sections except the furthest reaches of the building completely sold out. And then pictures from the venue back that up. So, you know, a couple hundred seats in the upper corners of the upper deck empty. So they, you know, they must have run a smaller room in the conference center or the, the 7,000 fans announced the last couple of years were worked numbers. Which just doesn't fit, which, I mean, you know, which would be the easiest uh, scenario to believe, obviously. But the thing is, New Japan hasn't worked numbers at all under the... Takake Kadane uh, regime. He just doesn't believe in it. And he hasn't done it. No one has caught them working a number since he's taken over. So it's very strange. I don't know. Um, they didn't announce it as a sellout. They said, you know, they described it as packed house or, you know, no vacancy as opposed to super no vacancy or whatever it is. But, uh, you know, so they were honest from that perspective. But it's just strange that all of a sudden, you know, where'd the other 2,000 seats go in this venue? little eyebrow raise in there for the first time when it comes to New Japan attendance. But at any rate, they nearly sold it out. Uh, Goto Nakamura with nothing underneath. So, you, you know, you can't call it a failure or anything like that. It's just interesting. Um, I, and I still haven't gotten a straight answer on that. Was it a different room the last couple of years with the stronger main events? I don't know. 
I'm going to go through every match quickly and just give you a general theme. We're not going to go into super detail here. The opener, Captain New Japan, Kushida, Manabu Nakanishi, and Ryusuke Taguchi versus Jushin Thunder Liger, Mascara, Dorada, Tiger Mask, and Yuji Nagata. Look, this is the usual get everybody on the card who doesn't have a program um, and, and throw them in an 8-man or a 10-man or a 6-man or whatever it is. Here's what you need to take away from this, okay? Manabu Nakanishi is fucking terrible. He's, he's completely shot. You know, sometimes I defend the guy because he'll come out and he'll give a halfway decent performance two or three times a year. He is done. Uh, he moves around like he's about 80 years old. He doesn't look good. The guy's finished. Completely finished. I saw some people complaining about the booking of Mascara Dorada on this show, working the opener. Um, look, here's the thing. I, look, I'm not thrilled about it either, but look, you can't complain. He, the guy just had a title match. He just had a title match on the previous tour, on the previous pay-per-view against Kenny Omega. Okay, so you can't go crazy if he's back in a prelim one pay-per-view later. He's probably going to be booked strong in the best of the Super Juniors. Now, if he's not booked strong in best of the Super Juniors you can go back to griping about how they're treating the guy. And look, I was screaming from the rooftop about this guy getting pushed. So, look, you're not talking to someone who doesn't want to see him pushed. But I can't go crazy about uh, a prelim match after he was in a major match, in a title match on the previous page. I can't do it. I can, I'm sorry, I can't do it. I can't listen to it. Let's see what happens in Best of Super Juniors and let's see what happens from there. Because I'll tell you, they were also teasing a Dorada-Kushida singles match. Because, uh, you know, those two guys in this particular match faced off. And 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 they teased that on this tour. And, and the talk is that Dorada could be defending that CMLL welterweight title at some point against Kushida. So let's, you know, let it play out. With, with You know, it's, it's okay. The guy just had a title match. You can't, you know, you can't complain. I don't want to hear it. Let's see how it plays out from here. If that's the only thing they do with him under this one-year deal, absolutely, by all rights, that's a waste. If they built him up for one title match against uh, Omega and then don't do anything up, but I don't get the feeling that that's going to be the case. I think there's going to be a match down the line against Kushida for this guy, and I think he's going to do very well in the Super Juniors. He's probably going to do better than he's ever done in the Super Juniors. You don't have Ricochet. You don't have Kenny Omega. You don't have Pac. You don't have Prince Devitt. Okay? And those are the kind of guys that were in this thing during the Mascara Dorada era. He wasn't going to get booked stronger than outsiders like Ricochet, Omega, and Pac. He just wasn't. Or Davey Richards, you know, going back a few years. He's not going to get booked stronger than low-key, let alone Devitt, who was on top of of the division for so long. But now, with those guys out of the mix, Dorada's one of those guys now. So let's let that play out. Kota Ibushi and Yohei Kamatsu versus Sho Tanaka and Tetsuya Naito. Uh, look, what was interesting about this is something I alluded to earlier when I was talking about Kamatsu being booked into the Super Juniors and being booked strong on his way there. Abushi and Naito sort of got out of the way in this match 
after doing uh, doing getting their spots in early on, and this was really about Komatsu and Tanaka. And like usual, those two guys killed it, and Komatsu got the tap with the single leg crab. Um, good match carried by the Young Lions. A match with Kota Ibushi, who's probably the best wrestler in the world this year. You wouldn't get much of an argument from people, from most people. And Tetsuya Naito. And it was carried by the Young Lions and clearly laid out for that design. To showcase them, and in particular, Komatsu. Very interesting match. And I wrote in a review that this really felt like the beginnings of, you know, the baby steps to elevating these guys. So two decent three-star matches to kick off the show. You know, for all my complaining about Nakanishi, the opener, everyone had their working shoes on in that opener. And Nakanishi, even though he stinks, he even attempted to do a dive. It was one of the worst dives you'll ever see. But everyone in that match worked hard. Good three-star match. Same thing with this tag. Good three-star match. This show was off to a good start. Because if you're getting good matches, you know, early on, you know, the good stuff typically comes later. Next up was Bad Luck, Fale, Cody Hall, and Tamatanga against Tenkoji and uh, Tomoaki Hanma. Now, this is uh, Hanma feuding with the Bullet Club B team, which has kind of been his story here. And it's good that they've, they're giving Hanma something to do. He's not just a third guy on a trio's team, a fourth guy on an Atomico's team, the guy to take the fall in a tag team working early in the show. He has a little bit of a direction here. He's got this beef with the Bullet Club, and he's been feuding with their B team, with the Bullet Club black and white. And that was what we had here again. And what I watch in these matches is Cody Hall and his progression. That's what's interesting to me. And man, do they protect this guy. He is so carefully protected in these matches. Talked about it a little bit earlier. Still hasn't had a singles match. Very telling. Very telling that he hasn't had a singles match. In New Japan, when they don't have these guys in singles matches yet, that's very telling. It's very similar to WWE in NXT where they only put guys in squash matches. Baron Corbin, perfect example. Because they don't trust Baron Corbin to have a seven-minute match. They don't trust Cody Hall to have a singles match right now. And he's very protected in these tag matches. In this match, he tagged in once. Go back and watch this match if you have New Japan World. This is so interesting. He tags in once during the meat of the match. He has no clue what to do. This was when they were the heat segment on Tenzon. Where they're tagging in and out, beating down Tenzon, setting up for the hot tag. They tag in Hall. Has no clue what to do. He does like an arm ringer. You know, works the arm a little bit. Taunts the crowd and quickly tags back out. I mean, he was lost. Lost. I mean lost. Had no clue what to do in that spot. And then he didn't come back in the ring until the closing stretch. Which he does very well in these closing stretches. He has that beautiful... Uh, spinning lariat that he does, which usually hits with great impact. It didn't in this match. He did not have a good night. And I've been praising his his slow improvements. He didn't have a good night on this show. He got hit with the Kojima lariat and then the Kokeshi, and he lost. To be expected. He did pick up a win on the tour. 
So he's like 1 in 27 now in New Japan, all tag matches. And he always takes the fall, obviously. This match, though, was not a good match for him. And if I'm not mistaken, it was his first you know, big-time pay-per-view match. He's been on Cork and shows and the Hinokuni show. I don't remember if he was on one of the New Beginning shows or not. Uh, he may have been. But, um, you know, this was a big spot for him. And he had maybe you – know, he regressed a little here. He didn't look good in this match. Junior tag titles, Rapongi Vice, who just won the belts, taking on Red Dragon and the Young Bucks. Three-way action, and they fail in their V1 defense. The belts go back to the Young Bucks. And look, this was worked uh, – look, it's – it felt like they had more time than usual because it was worked at a very deliberate pace at the start. This was Red Dragon working over Trent, Kyle O'Reilly being Kyle O'Reilly, kneeing people in the face. And then it picked up towards the end and got crazy. Then it turned into a Young Bucks match. So, you know, cool little match here. It was almost a tale of two matches, so to speak. And the Young Bucks... Defeat Rapongi Vice to win the titles back. This is significant for this reason. I have some statistics for you. Red Dragon is super protected in this company, and that's how you know they're going to keep using them moving forward. I'm going to give you an interesting stat. Red Dragon debuted at the 2014 G1 Finals. They challenged the Time Splitters for these IWGP Junior titles, and they lost that match. They impressed New Japan. They've been booked moving forward, obviously. Since they lost that match, they have not lost a New Japan tag team match. A straight two-on-two tag team match. 19-0. That's not true. I think it's 17 or 18-0 because they won a, uh, at least one multi-match because they won a multi-team match at the Tokyo Dome. They have two losses since that initial loss in the 2014 G1 Finals from the Seibu Dome. Both of those losses are multi-team matches where they did not take the fall. Both of those losses are multi-team tag team matches where the third or the fourth team took the fall. When they lost the titles, they did not take the fall. And in this match, the Young Bucks pinned Rapongi Vice. They did not take the fall in this match. Those are the only two matches they've lost since losing their debut. 19-2 and and have not taken a fall. Look it up. They're protected in the booking. They don't want to beat these guys. Which is good. If if you are a, uh, a Red Dragon fan who wants to continue seeing them in New Japan... Uh, they clearly have uh, plans for these guys moving forward to continue booking them. They never lose. At one point, they won something like 17 straight matches or something. Just tore through everybody. But a good match. Not a great match, but a very good match. They used the Indie Taker on the floor, and then they used the more bang for your buck on Trent to win the titles. The singles junior title, Kenny Omega against Alex Shelley. Now, look, this just this was like a Dragon Gate style match. Wacky. This was like 
Mad Blanky, you know, Kenny Omega representing Mad Blanky against, you know, a member of Monster Express and Mad Blanky constantly interfering, you know, with the Young Bucks in the role of, uh, you know, the Mad Blanky members on the outside of the ring. And it was, it was fast paced, tons of interference, garbage can, can used as a weapon, completely ridiculous referee distraction spots. Um, Omega has toned down the goofiness of his act, and that's been a plus. This was not a great match, um, but it was also a setup match. All of the interference, all of the wackiness, was merely a setup for Kushida to come in and clean house. He was doing crazy dives all over the place to take out Bullet Club members. Um, Shelly got a couple visual pins on Omega. Well, not really visual pins, but but uh, two counts, and then where it was obvious he was going to get a three count, you know, and a Bullet Club member would pull the ref out of the ring. So Shelly didn't really end up looking bad. And Omega eventually won it with the one-winged angel, which is the move he is now established. He, he, here's a guy who, you know, he's got four or five finishers that he uses, but in New Japan, he's, he's worked very hard to establish the one-winged angel as, his, as the finisher. So, you know, this was a big setup to to set up uh, Kushida challenging Omega at Dominion after he wins Best of the Super Juniors. And Omega announced after this match that he would not be taking part in the Best of the Super Juniors. Because, or as he called it, the Best of the Super Garbage. Because the gimmick is he believes the entire division is garbage. He says he would win the tournament and he can't challenge himself, so there's no point in participating. I don't mind that. Because these tournaments are so predictable. The champion always loses to set up future title shots. Why even have the champ involved? I mean, chances are it's not going to draw any better or worse whether Omega's in or not. This isn't like the G1 where you can't have you know Tanahashi sit out because he's a champion. No, I mean, it's the junior. It's a junior tournament. So I don't have a problem with that. Doc Gallows, Carl Anderson, and Amber Gallows versus The Kingdom and Maria Kanellis. All right, this was fucking terrible. And, I, you know, I'm not going to sit here and rant and rave about it. Um, look, I don't mind this in a prelim position on these shows. I hate it when it involves the tag team titles. This is shit. Look, I can live with it on Raw. Because that's what WWE is. It's sports entertainment. It ceased being professional wrestling a long time ago. It's okay on, on, on a Raw. I live with it. I don't like it, but I live with it. I don't get wound up about WWE. I just don't. It bothers me on New Japan. It bothers me in the mid-card. It bothers me when it, it involves these titles. Carl Anderson behaving as if he's never seen a naked woman. Look... I thought it was cute and amusing when it was Captain New Japan. I thought it was cute and amusing when it was Liger. It was prelims. Who cares what you do in the prelims? It bothers me that it's Carl Anderson and that it, 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 these are it, it, it's in important spots on the card. It bothers me. Now, maybe I need to lighten up. I don't know. I don't want this on my you know. And we all know Gato and Jado, big fans of Western wrestling, and you see the influence here. 
I don't like it. I thought it was crap. Um, it did not get good responses from people live on social media. I didn't seem to be the only one who hated it. Maria took the uh, Magic Killer post-match after rolling up Amber Gallows. It wasn't a good match. It was a terrible match. I mean, the match wasn't even good. I wondered how New Japan would do the intergender gimmick. They didn't really have the men and the women wrestle each other much against each other until they attacked Maria after, after the match. And I haven't seen a lot of people chirping about it. That's good. None of these tired intergender arguments. I don't even know where we're supposed to stand on that anymore. Is it okay for men to beat up women? Is it not okay? Who knows? A goofy argument. It's Who knows? Let Billy Corgan worry about that. No one's going to watch anyway. Let Lucha Underground worry about that. Nobody watches that either. I, just, I don't want it on New Japan. Not the inner gender necessarily, just the goofiness. I can live without the inner gender too. I just, you know, whatever. Let's move along. Sakuraba, Ishii, and Yano versus Tanahashi, Shibata, and Makabe. Um, this was not a good match. This didn't hook me at all. In fact, other than the disastrous uh, six-person intergender match, which I thought was a dud, um, I thought this was uh, the worst match on the show. Tanahashi clearly is doing nothing and saving up everything he's got for the G1. And Yano is a perfect guy to feud with because Yano matches are easy. I'm sure Tanahashi will work hard on the Ring of Honor shows, especially the singles matches. But he's not doing shit in New Japan until this G1. And he's got Yano at Dominion. But it'll be an easy match for him to work. You know, it's not going to be an Okada match. It's not going to be a Shibata match. It'll be a million shortcuts. So from that perspective, it's smart. Because he's clearly starting to break down. I won't believe he's completely broken down. Until he has a big match at the top of a card and doesn't deliver. Because that hasn't happened in years. I legitimately can't think of the last big match Tanahashi had, singles match, that wasn't a match of the year contender level match. When we start seeing him have matches at the top of the card, in main event or semi-main event positions, especially main events, or big-time G1 matches, with big-time opponents that don't deliver at the four-star and above level, that's when I'll that's when I'll say that this guy is starting. And we could be at that point. We'll find out after the the Yano match is a mid-card match at Dominion. We'll find out on the Ring of Honor shows. We'll find out especially on the at the G1 where Tanahashi is right now because it's a question mark. We're going to find out. Shibata, of course, is matched up with Sakuraba at Dominion. Look, people are into that. Okay. I just, Sakuraba to me is very hit or miss. He either has a match that I love. The Nakamura match, for example. The uh, Minoru Suzuki match at Wrestle Kingdom. I like that more than a lot of people did. Or he has 
absolute shit fest that I can't stand. So we'll see what he does with Shibata. Ultimately, though, I wish he would just go away. And then you've got Togi Makabe and Tomohiro Ishii who are going to wrestle again. Now look, when we reviewed Hinokuni, we said we didn't care to if, to see them wrestle again. Well, they're going to wrestle one more time at uh, Dominion. Fine. Okay. Most people like their match at Hinokuni a lot more than me and Rich did. I think me and Rich are just both on the same page here. We're just tired of watching these two guys work together. Something a little different. I kind of wish the Dominion match was Ishii or Makabe, uh, Makabe rather, against Shibata or something like that instead of Ishii again. You know. But, you know, they'll go one more time. Hopefully they're in opposite blocks in the G1. And I'm, I'm sure that they will be. AJ Styles and Yujiro against Okada and Yoshihashi. Yoshihashi's pants say loose explosion on the back. Right across his asshole. Yes, it says loose explosion in English across the man's asshole. Translations and all that, but I mean, geez. A little self-awareness? Can someone whisper in his ear that you might not want to have your tights say loose explosion across your asshole? I mean, what is he doing? What's he doing here? A diarrhea gimmick? What's going on? Is an irritable bowel uh, syndrome gimmick with loose explosion? Yoshihashi took the Styles Clash, didn't break his neck. This super dangerous move that breaks everybody's neck, supposedly, allegedly. Only if you tuck your head like a dummy. Speaking of which, this Lionheart, what a hypocrite this guy is, huh? Lionheart gets his neck injured by AJ Styles because like a dummy he tucked his head writes that open letter to AJ which is interesting he writes a letter to AJ Styles and then makes it public oh what a creep huh what a creep this guy is grandstanding making sure everybody sees this letter that he wrote to quote AJ Styles really it was just a grandstanding thing that he wrote to everybody uh, begging AJ Styles, please stop using the Styles Clash. You've ended my career, or potentially ended my career, and you ended Roderick Strong's career. Roderick Strong still wrestles, by the way. And uh, you're breaking everybody's necks, and please stop using the Styles Clash, AJ Styles, please. And Styles made a valid point. He said, look, man, why do you got to you know, do this shit in public? Give me a call. Send the letter to me. Hey, the guy grandstanding. And then after all this talk about how dangerous the Styles Clash is and how he wants AJ Styles to stop using it, this guy's wrestling AJ. He's, he's having a rematch with AJ Styles. And of course they've sold it out. And they're building the match around the Styles Clash. What a hypocrite this guy is. This Lionheart. All of a sudden, he's okay with the Clash when it comes to making some money. When it comes to taking maybe the biggest payday of his career, all of a sudden, he doesn't have a problem with the Styles Clash anymore. And he, not, not only that, he's going to build a match around it. 
Oh, what a what a hypocrite this guy. You know, I called him out at the time, and I took a lot of criticism for it. This Lionheart's a hypocrite. He he's just a total hypocrite. What a carny. What a carny hypocrite this guy is. Drawing attention to himself with his stupid open letter, whining about the Styles Clash when it's his fault he got hurt, by the way. But more than willing to step into the ring with the guy and draw a sold-out house with him and make a little money off of the Styles. He's okay with making some money off the Styles Clash after he whined about it. He didn't have a problem with Styles. He just wanted to draw some attention to himself. Get a little sympathy. Keep his name, you know, while he was out, keep his name in everybody's, fresh in everybody's mind. AJ called him out at the time. I called him out at the time. He's a hypocrite. Total fucking hypocrite, this Lionheart. I don't want to hear it. Especially if he takes a Styles Clash in that match. Which he probably will. Unbelievable. I yeah, you know, I tell you, these wrestlers, I tell you, man. I I saw through that guy. Yeah, that guy that guy was as clear as glass, that guy. He, what a hypocrite, this Lionheart. What a joke. Makes me sick. Now, I don't blame the promoter. Smart. I don't blame AJ. AJ is very consistent. Don't tuck your head. He asks everyone before the match, you want to take it? You don't have to take it. I'll calf cutter you. Yeah, we do the calf cutter. I'll do the spiral tap. If you're going to take it, don't tuck your head, dummy. It's not ballet. Don't be a tough guy. And don't grandstand and then get back in the ring with the guy when it comes time to making a little money. That's a joke. I, you can't take that guy seriously anymore. This Lionheart, you can't take him seriously anymore. Guy's a hypocrite. They did an angle after the match. Okada uh, beat up Styles, took the belt, held it up. I'll tell you, this Okada. He's, listen, ever since he lost and they've kind of sent him in a different direction since Wrestle Kingdom... You know what we're finding out about Okada as he enters his prime. He's really good as a guy who is chasing, which is probably why he hasn't held the title consistently. Maybe they've recognized that he's so good in this chase role, where he feels like he has to prove himself. We saw it with his run through the G1 and the emphatic way that he beat Nakamura. And now we're seeing it again, going through Bad Luck Fale, going right after AJ Styles, the man who originally stole his title last year. He's great in this role in, in the chase. And maybe they recognize that. He's a chaser. Nakamura versus Goto main event. Very good match. Not a great match. Didn't live up to my expectations. They're going to have a rematch at Dominion. Goto could very well lose it right back. Look, we said... I don't, I don't remember what Rich said, to be fair. Um, I said I wouldn't be surprised if Goto won. And he won. 
he could lose it right back to Nakamura, or he can I could just as easily see him retain it against Nakamura. And maybe Nakamura's on to bigger and better things. My theory My theory is Nakamura goes into Wrestle Kingdom as champion. And uh, maybe that's when Abushi finally defeats him. Would they have the guts to do Abushi Nakamura in the dome and crown Abushi champion? And would they do it this soon? It seems soon, doesn't it? I mean, eventually Abushi has got to beat Nakamura. That's the man who has beaten him twice in very high-profile matches. And that's going to be Abushi's ultimate obstacle to overcome. And when he beats Nakamura, he'll officially be a made man. In the uh, in in kayfabe terms, yeah, that's the guy he has to beat. That's his nemesis. And ideally, he would beat him for a title, preferably the most important title possible. So, could they be setting up a Nakamura G one win? And Nakamura maybe winning the title at Dome and Abushi beating Nakamura at some point in 2016. I, I I don't I don't know. Nakamura might just beat Goto at Dominion and win this title back. And this could just be one of those you know little two match programs or whatever. So who knows? Good match, very good match. Maybe a slight victim of expectations. Look, Goto is a hell of a wrestler. He really is. Guy always delivers and doesn't get a ton of credit for it. One of the most consistent performers on the planet in a big match scenario. He really is. Under the radar G1 last year. Under the radar year last year. We wrote about that in our book. Which you can get on Amazon. For the low, low price of five dollars, New Japan 2014 yearbook year in review. There will be a 2015 version. So that was Don Taku. Not a great show. Uh, kind of a place filler, and it sets up Dominion. It sets up Dominion, which uh, Dominion is pretty much set. So we will quickly go over Dominion. Of course, Osaka Joe Hall, 16,000 seat building, probably won't be set up for 16,000 tickets. From what we understand, the tickets are selling very well. And were selling very well as of uh, two weeks ago. So... I don't know if they're going to sell it out. We don't know what the setup is, but it's not going to be disappointing. Like the uh, last time Okada and Styles hooked up in a big building last year where they did a very disappointing um, in Yokohama Arena. Not going to be the case now. AJ Styles is one of the big five now. A proven draw. I think there's no question about it. A proven draw. So that'll be your main event. But, you know, unlike when Nakamura headlines these smaller pay-per-views, this Okada-Styles match has plenty of support. You've got Nakamura-Goto, the rematch we just talked about. Makabe-Ishii, the third match there for the Never title. And you would think Ishii will win that, right? 
I don't know. You would think so. I hope so. Guns and Gallows will challenge the Kingdom for the IWGP Tag Team titles, and of course the women will be at ringside. And <sighs> You know, the fact of the matter is it probably wouldn't be a very good match anyway. You've got Mike Bennett, who stinks. Doc Gallows, who stinks in New Japan. Taven, who's okay. Anderson, who's okay. Anderson, to me, much better in singles matches. Always steps up in his singles matches. The Guns and Gallows team never has good matches, or great matches. Bennett just isn't a New Japan caliber wrestler. He isn't. He isn't a New Japan caliber wrestler. Kenny Omega against Kushida, or, you know, who we expect to be Kushida. Hiroshi Tanahashi versus Toru Yano. Like I said, it's just a mid-card match. We don't have a thousand shortcuts. And Shibata versus Sakuraba. That's what we've got so far. They're going to announce other matches. There'll probably be nine or ten matches on the show. That's 7-5. Osaka Joe Hall. Late night, 4th of July, United States. July 4th. Non-holiday edition, if you're in Canada. In the morning of the 5th. In Europe. And on the 5th in Japan. So that's Dantaku. That's uh, Dominion coming up. We're not going to break down Dominion. We've got a long ways to go to get to that. We've got to get through Best of the Super Juniors. And um, then we can start talking about Dominion a little bit. So we're going to transition here to Global Force Wrestling. Because we finally have had some people join the Force. And there's some stories here. There's some stories here. There's some underlying stuff. There's some read-between-the-lines stuff going on here with joining the Force. And I'll tell you, Jeff Jarrett went out to Las Vegas with his wife and held a press conference at the Orleans Casino. And uh, what a disaster this was. This press conference, quote-unquote press conference with no press there, there was one person at the press conference. One. One. One person. One. And that person, you know, sent out two or three pathetic tweets of the of the um, awful projector screen that they had set up announcing their roster. And they ended up announcing three people. And the irony there, here's it, here's it what the press release says. At the end of the press release, about Global Force Wrestling. You ready for this? Global Force Wrestling is a privately owned professional wrestling and entertainment company based in Nashville, Tennessee. Founded in 2014, Global Force Wrestling is changing the wrestling and entertainment industry with an innovative and groundbreaking approach to fan interactivity, storytelling, and overall entertainment to engage audiences across television, digital, and social media platforms. What? They're not on television, nor do they have a television deal. And as for their digital and social media platforms, they didn't even stream this press conference, nor did they live tweet it. 
They have no digital and social media presence. Aside from Jeff Jarrett occasionally tweeting that he's got big announcements coming and then he never announces anything. What an embarrassment this was. Groundbreaking approach to fan interactivity. Is interactivity a word? Anyway, what was what is groundbreaking about their approach to fan interactivity? Hey Jeff, everyone has a Twitter account and they all know how to use it better than you do. Here's what got exposed at this quote press conference. I can't call this a press conference, there's no press there. There were more people representing Global Force Wrestling than there were people than there were press members there. How embarrassing was this? Maybe that's why they only announced three pieces of talent, because he was so embarrassed he wanted to get out of there. But what is this groundbreaking approach to fan interactivity? What is it? Why? Where? I mean, the website looks like a fucking GeoCity site from, from 1996. It looks like an Angel Fire site. Storytelling. What storytelling? You don't have a promotion. You haven't run a show. Overall entertainment to engage audiences across television, digital, and social media platforms. They weren't even tweeting during their own press conference. Which exposes the fact that Jeff runs the fucking Twitter. He couldn't stand at the podium and tweet at the same time. Absolute embarrassing disaster. Couldn't have looked worse. Why? Why he could have done this from his front yard? Why did he go to New Orleans to do this? To embarrass himself? To say you went to New Orleans to do this? He didn't need to have a presser. He could have just sent out a press release with these names. It would have been better just to simply the way Ring of Honor tw- uh, slow rolled the tweets with the with the New Japan matches, which had all kinds of buzz. It would have been better just to, you know, sit in his pajamas in Nashville and tweet out the roster members one by one all day long, the way Ring of Honor did the matches with New Japan. That would have had more buzz than this press co- than this quote unquote press conference. Uh, what a joke! I mean, how humiliating to drag someone like Chael Sonnen, who's used to drawing a tremendous amount of pay per view buys and being an actual star. Think whatever you want about him. Guy draws money. To drag Chael Sonnen out to this thing, to stand at a podium with, with nobody in the room. That's humiliating. Oh, what a mess. Quote, We have slowly but steadily been building towards this day, said Jeff Jarrett, GFW founder and CEO. The feedback I have received in my international travels has been off the charts. Fans are ready for the reveal of the entire GFW roster, and they're eager for their voices to be heard. Oh, you heard the fans' voices, Jeff. (laughs) Mocking you during this quote-unquote press conference. My favorite tweet, join the force, but join the internet first. Off the charts. 
feedback he's been receiving in his international travels. Hmm. Fans are ready for the reveal of the entire roster. Look, here's the thing about the roster and the reveal. I don't know if they retire if they reveal the entire roster at the presser because no one was at the presser to report on the damn thing. We had one Twitter account send out pictures of PJ Black and Davy Boy Smith Jr. and Chael Sonnen. We don't know if they announced the did they ever did they announce the rest of these people at the press conference? We don't know. You need press at a press conference. In order to call it a press conference, this was Jeff Jarrett flew to New Orleans to stand in a podium and talk to Karen Jarrett. Yeah, humiliating. So they announced PJ Black as their first piece of talent. Good hand, fine wrestler. He can't be your marquee piece of talent. I'm sorry. Davy Boy Smith Jr., good hand, fine wrestler. Second wrestler you announce. We think, anyway. And then they wrapped it up, probably because they were humiliated. What a mess. They're going to announce four, as of this recording, they're going to announce the first four baseball shows, baseball stadium shows. The cards, anyway. They have not done so yet. They have tapings in Las Vegas July 24th, August 21st, and October 23rd. Hmm. I'll tell you what, at least they have dates, unlike Lucha Underground. Tickets for those events go on sale Friday, May 15th at noon, with an exclusive pre-sale. Oh man, beginning Monday, May 11th at noon. Exclusive pre-sale. You better jump on that pre-sale because you know, I'm 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 sure the Orleans Arena will be sold out immediately. Are they kidding me with the exclusive exclusive to who? The 10 people who want tickets to this thing. Tickets are available starting at $30 and can be purchased online at orleansarena.com or by phone or in person at Boyd Gaming Box Offices. VIP tickets will include a meet and greet with the GFW talent. All right, look. Um, They're holding three tapings, uh, you know, all about two months apart. Orleans Arena is a big building. It's a basketball arena. They have no prayer filling this thing. They have no TV. And the first taping is July 24th. That is for the and that is to tape the TV. They have no way to promote these these TV tapings. I, you know, Jarrett really took his time and slow rolled Global Force, and we all poked fun and had fun with it. But at the end of the day, I thought he was being very smart because he wasn't rushing into anything. He was waiting for a TV deal, presumably. He was waiting to line up talent, whatever it was. Now, he fe- now it feels like they're rushing into things. They're rushing into these stadium shows. They're rushing into these television tapings. This all feels rushed now. It does. Now it just feels like the next uh, promotion that's going to come and go you know, whereas before it really felt like he was being careful. But that's all down the toilet. And Chael Sonnen is not coming cheap. 
I would wager he's costing more than the wrestling talent to be a commentator. And rightfully so. He's a bigger draw than anybody else on the roster. Will he draw as a color commentator? I probably no. I think he'll do okay. He loves wrestling. I think, you know, I have no reason to think he won't be good at it. We don't know who he's going to work with. So let's go over this roster. Which, to be fair, I think it's a decent roster. For Look, people were ripping the roster after the announcements, but it's like, okay, you can rip the roster if you want. I'm not saying you can't rip the roster, but you have to give me alternatives. You can't just say, ah, oh, this roster stinks. There's no, you know, but but then who else did you? Who else do you realistically want to sign? That they didn't sign. Somebody said, ah, he should have brought in Okada and Nakamura. What are you on crack? Hey, just snap your fingers, and Okada, the two of the biggest stars in the world, are going to come work for Global Force. This guy crazy. Well, Ring of Honor got them. Yeah, they got them for a couple one-offs a year. This, they were announcing a core roster here. Jarrett can't go out there and say, oh, yeah, we got you know, Shinsuke Nakamura's on my roster. Even if he's got him booked for a show or two, he's not going to be a member of this roster. He can't do that. He's announcing his roster, guys that he signed. Well, PJ Black was the first guy they announced. Davey Boy Smith Jr. the second. We think. Because who knows what happened at this, quote, press conference. If a press conference is held in the woods and a tree falls on everybody and kills them, did it really ha- I mean, you know, no one was there. Jarrett could have shit himself on stage for all we know. We don't know. We reported on our Twitter feed that Anderson and Gallows had joined the force. Um... I had gotten a text message, and I debated whether to put that out there, but I decided, ah, fuck it. And I'm glad I did, because we ended up scooping Jarrett, because we announced it a half hour before they did. Every now and then, we got scoops for you guys. We nailed that one. Go check the timestamp. So you've got PJ Black, you've got Davy Boy Smith Jr., you've got Anderson and Gallows. You've got Lance Hoyt. He will be Hoyt here. Not Archer. So you've got the Killer Elite Squad. You've got Sonata. Recently released by TNA. Chris the Adonis Mordetsky. Which of course is Chris Masters. Who I like as a professional wrestler, but is maybe the most overrated professional wrestler in the world. I mean, people, I, and I like him, and uh, you know, but you know, in terms of, you know, people way overrate this guy. I mean, you would think that he's Kenta Kabashi the way people talk. Yeah, I, I, pump, the, pump the brakes on Chris Masters, okay? He's okay. He's a nice little wrestler. Let's relax on the Chris Masters. I mean, geez. And I like Chris Masters. Never has a guy gotten more mileage out of one match than Chris Masters. And I like the guy. But come on. 
people people who like people who like Chris Masters really really like Chris Masters. I mean, you know. And again, I think he's very good, but you know, people talk about him like he's you know Mitsuhara Masawa. Relax, relax. It's Chris Masters. Uh, Lady Tapa who I think has a tremendous look and tremendous potential. Very green the last time I saw her, but TNA, just another person they dropped the ball on. Uh, Thea Trinidad. So Lady Tapa and Thea Trinidad were the two ladies they announced. And Moose, which was intriguing because uh, that turned out to be presumably the piece of talent that Jarrett you know, stole from under the rug from WWE. You know, this Moose, let me tell you something about Moose. He's a crafty guy. You know, he moonwalked right out of WWN Live and into Ring of Honor. And now he's moonwalking right out of Ring of Honor into Global Force. And what we keep learning about Moose is he never signs contracts. He, because as you know, WWN Live, they'll let you out of your deal to go to WWE. They don't let you out of your deal to go to Ring of Honor. That's their direct competition. But he never had a deal with WWN Live, and, and, and he left for Ring of Honor. And now it turns out he has a deal with Ring of Honor, but he has one of those non-exclusive deals, and it's coming up soon. So despite the monster push, he wasn't, he wasn't someone who had an exclusive deal with Ring of Honor. He's free to work Global Force house shows while under that deal. He just can't work TV. But that deal's coming up. So he's presumably joining the Force full-time at that point. Don't have that confirmed. Seems to be uh, the presumption. Now, Quinn Ojanaka, which uh, who is Moose, former NFL player, terrible offensive lineman. Believe me, I sat through those Rams games. He stinks. Stinks. That's why he's not in the NFL anymore. Um, but rapidly improving as a pro wrestler. The point here is, here's a guy who knows a little something about leverage and negotiation because he was a professional athlete. So, it's, it's, he, he's clearly a very smart guy. He doesn't flippantly stick his name on pieces of paper like a lot of wrestlers do because he has a real sports background. Played in the NFL for five or six years. Went through a couple of contracts. So he knows what he's doing. And when you look at that roster, they have a lot of solid workers. Masters, Killer Elite Squad, PJ Black, Sonata, everybody on that roster is a solid worker. Work rate won't be the issue with the force. The issue with the force is who's going to be the star. The answer is Moose. These other guys are roster filler. I don't mean that it sounds negative, but it's not. It's very good roster filler. But PJ Black cannot be your top star. Um, Lance Hoyt cannot be your top star. Sonata cannot be your top star. These guys are what they are, which are tremendous, you know, workers for the middle of the card. Killer Elite Squad is one of the top tag teams in the world. Um, Carl Anderson's a guy who hasn't really gotten a shot in the United States. Very charismatic. Gallows has kind of been dead weight, but he just hasn't really fit in in New Japan. Masters, for whatever reason, has basically spent most of his time in Europe. He doesn't even get booked in the United States. 
which you would think for a guy who's Kenta Kabashi level worker would get booked a little more, but you know. Um, I why am I bad? I like Chris Masters, but it's just we go a little overboard. So we get excited, you know what I mean? It's like, um, I don't know. Some we all do it though. We all get a little excited sometimes when we like a guy. I just think that the Chris Masters fans get a little too excited. Probably the way I get a little too excited about Gato. So, I mean, Moose is the guy. Clearly the guy for the people that they've named. Now, I've gotten messages from various people about other names that are presumably in the bag. I've seen about a half a dozen more names, and Jared has hinted that he's going to name some more names. And I know you guys are going to get mad at me, and I hate when people do this, but I, I can't tell you the names. I'm sworn to secrecy. But I've seen some names, and um, of those names, two of the names are, again, solid guys that, that are going to have good matches. And one of those guys is another guy who really is going to get his first break, um, potentially, if, you know, if this thing even takes off in a national promotion, and he deserves it. There's one name I saw that is a guy who's just, I think, garbage and would be, from all the names announced and the names that I've heard whispered in my ear, easily the worst worker and least valuable person that they've signed. And this is a former WWE wrestler. Like main roster WWE wrestler. He's, he stinks. And then there's uh, you know a couple more guys that they signed who I think they can potentially build around. Allegedly signed. Who I think that they can build around. So there's some reinforcements coming to varying levels of, of reinforcement, so to speak. But the, but the press conference was an absolute disaster, and they're, they're, they're really biting off more than they can chew. Now it's Vegas. They can give tickets away. But what happens if you give tickets away is a lot of those people won't show up, and the people that do show up will either – you know they're not going to be wrestling fans, and they're not going to be hot crowds – you can always fix that in post-production, but that's going to come off badly. It's just This whole thing is a recipe for disaster. Tickets starting at $30? I mean, geez, what does ringside cost? $30 to sit up in the nosebleeds? To watch Lady Tapa? I mean, come on. I mean, no disrespect to these guys, but I mean... And look, I, I think, again, I think they actually did a good job with the roster. Who else is out there? Who'd they, miss, who'd they swing and miss on? Granted, I have the benefit of some more information that you guys, most of you don't. But forget that for now. Put that aside. Even just what, the public roster. Who else do you want? You can make good arguments for Roderick Strong. But I mean, is he going to, again, he's just be a solid worker. And he's a guy who, another guy, he hasn't, he's working everywhere right now and biding his time and weighing his options. Who says they didn't approach him? He wouldn't sign Ring of Honor. He's working WWE Live. He's working Ring of Honor. He's a freelancer right now. Maybe they did, I'm sure they did approach Roderick Strong. 
you obviously immediately think of AJ Styles and the Young Bucks. But listen, those guys aren't coming very cheap. They might be the two most expensive acts on the scene. Now, who else do you, who else do you want to get? I heard someone say, oh, they should have got AAA guys. Why? And then, I mean, no disrespect to the AAA talent, but why? Why deal with guys who need visas and everything else and, and, don't, and aren't going to mean a thing? I mean, you know, and, and a lot of them are, are already tied up with Lucha Underground. And the ones that Lucha Underground have are drawing 40,000 viewers a week. I mean, if you want to build a Fire Pro promotion for, you know, that's fine. You're playing a fantasy game. But this is a real promotion they're building. They did an all right job here. They did this. I mean, who else is out there for them to sign that, that doesn't have their name on paper right now? You want AR Fox? Uh, okay. Okay. 